chapter 12 this morning. Revelation 12, uh, we'll be concentrating on uh, beginning in verse 7 all the way down through the end of the chapter. That's our uh, passage this morning. As we continue our look at uh, this wonderful book of Revelation that is not just a book about the future as we've seen, but it tells us an awful lot about uh, the world in which we are living in the church age, we saw in chapters 2 and 3, and even really throughout uh, the text of Revelation, we get information, of course, that is, that is very uh, pertinent to our lives uh, today. And uh, from our passage last week, we'll get to that shortly, of course, that too. Uh, there's a lot of secondary applications, at least, <laughs> that we can see in the book of Revelation. And we'll talk about that uh, when we get there. We find ourselves here in our study looking at the things which will take place after these things, things that are going to be taking place in the future. You know, there's a, there's a pretty large portion of Christianity that really uh, sees either sees the Bible as having prophecy, but the overwhelming majority of the things that the Bible prophesies about have already happened. Uh, a lot of people uh, see future, that there could be future events talked about in the Bible, but ah, that's really not important, so we ought to just disregard it. Uh, and all of these kind of viewpoints that really put prophetic information or parts of the Bible that talk about the future, just put those on the shelf and just uh, really ignore them, and which is hopefully, as we have seen, is very uh, a very bad way to interpret the Bible, a bad uh, application of the things that we find in the Bible anyway, because we know and have seen that so much of prophecy, like for example, the second coming of Christ, obviously a future event, nearly every time that it's mentioned, it's tied to godly living today. Uh, and so understanding prophecy is very important for our spiritual lives today, and it keeps us from, from error in our understanding of the Bible. That's why we're spending a, a lot of time going through the book of Revelation and not just, not just ignoring it, even though a large portion of it obviously has to do with the future. And I made a printout of this outline that you probably have a hard time reading, and I didn't print it out, so it's still on my computer. So hopefully next week we'll uh, remember to print this out, and then you can have, have your own copy. But this is just a basic breakdown of Revelation 6 through 19 that can, is really the, it's the heart of the letter is what we're studying now, that this is basically what the book is about, is chapter 6 through 19, and it can be confusing. And so hopefully uh, this little breakdown will help us understand it a little bit better. We've seen the tribulation begins with the seal judgments. That was that this great seal that we see introduced in chapter 5 that has seven seals on it. The Lord, Jesus Christ, is the one who breaks the seals. He's the only one that was found in all of uh, history or humanity who is qualified to open the seals. And he does that, and it begins with the pseudo-peace, and then there's war, famine, death, martyrs, and these great signs that we've talked about those uh, events in detail. And then we have these uh, the first intermission. These intermissions in Revelation are important to understand, that, that they're not advancing the chronology, but it's taking a break in between uh, parts of the action to give more detail. The Bible does that a lot. Uh, the first two chapters of the Bible are, are a similar circumstance to what we see in Revelation. Genesis chapter 1 describes that the Lord uh, God created heaven and earth in six days and rested on the seventh day. Chapter 2 goes back into the sixth day when God created Adam and Eve because that's 
really the most important part of creation. We may not feel like that sometimes or any time, but the most important part of God's creation is you and me, humans. And so he gives more detail about that in Genesis chapter 2. So that's what we see in Genesis or uh, Revelation 7 is more information about this tribulation period, the 144,000 witnesses, the results, this great multitude of people who believe because of these witnesses. And then we have the trumpet judgments with the seventh seal and more uh, judgments in an increasing intensity being poured out on the earth. In Genesis or Revelation 8 and 9, we'll get that right here. And then we have our second intermission, kind of a long one. The longest of these breaks in the action is where we find ourselves now in chapter 12. That goes all the way from chapter 10 through 15. John's recommissioning, the two witnesses, the seventh trumpet uh, is uh, blown there. that we talked about in Revelation 11, looking forward to Christ reigning over the earth. And then this section that we see ourselves in now, well, okay, Christ is going to reign in the future, but where does he come from? And who is his number one adversary? Who's fighting against Christ in this coming kingdom? Well, we saw last time that Christ comes from Israel and Satan is his adversary. And that Satan, we're going to see today, is going to wage war against not just the nation of Israel, but believers in general. Well, okay, how is Satan going to do that? Good question. Revelation chapter 13 gives us the two primary means by which Satan is going to try to persecute the world, essentially. Anyone who doesn't go along with his program, and that is through two individuals, we'll see the false prophet and the antichrist himself in Revelation 13. Well, okay, Satan tries this uh, attempt at eradicating the world of believers. What is the result of that? That's Revelation chapter 14, the destiny of believers and unbelievers during the tribulation. Then chapter 15 will introduce the bold judgments Then we have the bold judgments in Revelation 16. Uh, What is the main, where is the headquarters of this coming world empire that's talked about in Revelation 11? Well, that's in Babylon. That's described in chapters 17 and 18. The Lord comes again in chapter 19 and establishes his kingdom. That's uh, the tribulation as described in Revelation in a nutshell, and we'll have those. Uh, handouts next time, hopefully. So Israel, her adversary and her Christ, we talked about that last time. And uh, it was rather uh, dramatic timing that that I didn't really go into at all uh, last week. Coming to this portion of Scripture, in light of what happened last Friday in the Supreme Court with the overturning of Uh, probably one of the worst judgments in the history of the Supreme Court, Roe versus Wade, where the court uh, essentially made a law. That's not, of course, according to our founding documents, uh, the Constitution, uh, our founding document, the Constitution, uh, courts don't make laws, they interpret laws. Well, that's not what happened with Roe versus Wade. They literally... Uh, made a law and determined when abortions can happen and can happen in our in our nation, completely contrary to our history and uh, what was going on in the country leading up to that time and had taken place in the past. The overwhelming majority of states had laws already on the books that outlawed abortion. Uh, and it's interesting that, that the court uh, went to the 14th Amendment that came into place after uh, the Civil War took place, when, and at the same time, states were enacting these laws outlawing abortion, the very, the very thing that the court uh, said the Constitution 
gave her right to. Very uh, interesting opinion. Uh, and I'll stop giving my opinion on that. But it's interesting, though, that we have this woman who is a sign in heaven we saw as representative of the nation of Israel about to give birth to a child. And there's somebody right there waiting to devour that child when it's born. Literally Satan himself. I think we can take a cue from that on our to form our opinion on this supposedly divisive issue of abortion. In our text from last week, Satan is waiting to devour the child after it's born. There are actually, there's speaking of abortion laws, I guess I'm not going, going to drop it just yet. Our, our fight is still just beginning because in Michigan, there was a law on our books from 1931 that essentially outlawed abortion in the state of Michigan. Uh, a law passed by a Congress of rep people elected to these positions that if we don't like what they're doing, we can throw them out. You can't throw out judges like that. That's why our founders made the system the way that they did. At any rate, our, our governor uh, is pushing a uh, petition drive to allow people to vote on whether or not we should have abortion in our state. And I believe it, the, if they get this requisite number of signatures, it'll be on the ballot in August, which is next month, by the way, uh, that will essentially make abortion allowed in the state of Michigan uh, almost up to the time of birth. Uh, verse 4 of Revelation 12, so that when she gave birth, he, Satan, might devour her child. Uh, that's, that's rather frightening and ought to, ought to get our attention. This is something that I think the Bible is, is very, very clear on what we should, uh, what our opinion should be in terms of this issue of abortion. But of course, we know in our, from our text uh, last week that the child was born. He was protected. He did grow into uh, a, a full adult man, and that is Jesus Christ himself as the son here. And he uh, was, is the one who will rule or shepherd, we saw, with a rod of iron. And he was caught up to, to heaven uh, after he accomplished his victory. That's what we studied last week. And then this week, we're going to see kind of the results of that victory that Christ won on the cross, playing itself out in heaven. And we'll see even in our lives today with the title of our message today is victory in Christ. We'll see angelic warfare, actual victory, and then anti-Semitism that will take place in the future. But our passage Revelation 12, 7 begins with angelic warfare. Notice again, verse 7, it says, And there was war in heaven, Michael and his angels waging war with the dragon. The dragon and his angels waged war, and they were not strong enough, and there was no longer a place found for them in heaven. And the great dragon was thrown down, the serpent of old, who is called the devil, and Satan, who deceives the whole world, he was thrown down to the earth and his angels were thrown down with him. Notice where this warfare takes place. First of all, a war in heaven. Right there it says in verse 7, I have the heaven emboldened. It doesn't do that in our text, but that, that's something to pay attention to. There is a... Uh, a great misunderstanding about this kind of uh, event that takes place uh, in the future. And people will extrapolate from that and say, oh, this is happening now and we're doing battle. I'm doing battle against demons and uh, these kinds of, kinds of things that uh, that's not what is being described here in the text. And it behooves us to pay attention to what actually is being described here. Uh, and with that, it's important also 
we shouldn't disregard these uh, kinds of things. Not We shouldn't say that, that we personally are doing battle with demons and overcoming them and these kinds of things. However, we also shouldn't completely disregard them and say, ah, this is just foolishness because there are things in this world, believe it or not, that we don't completely understand. And in this angelic conflict being one of those, we don't completely understand it because it's not covered in great depth in the scriptures. Obviously it is, but not completely covered so that we get a total picture and understanding of everything that's happening. Uh, so that, that uh, makes it difficult. And also, we don't see this happening with our, in a, in a, under normal circumstances. That doesn't mean that it isn't happening. And in 2 Kings chapter 6, we get a similar, or we get a, a viewpoint of this, that there are things that go on in this creation that we don't totally see and understand. And notice, uh, this is a story of Elisha. It says, 2 Kings chapter 6, Now when the attendant of the man of God, Elisha being the man of God, had risen early and gone out, behold, an army with horses and chariots was circling the city. Like a literal army uh, was encircling the city to endanger them. And his servant said to him, Alas, my master, what shall we do? So he, Elisha, answered, Do not fear, for those who are with us are more than those who are with them. And, so, and the servant is probably looking around like, uh, did you see the, the army encircling the city? The, you know, there's only a few of us. Verse 17, then Elisha prayed and said, O Lord, I pray, open his eyes that he may see. And the Lord opened the servant's eyes and he saw and behold, the mountain was full of horses and chariots of fire all around Elisha. So there was this angelic protection over uh, the, the, the Israelites here that, that they couldn't see under normal circumstances, but that didn't mean that it wasn't there. And here in our passage, we have Michael and his angels waging war with the dragon and his angels in verse 7. So who is Michael? He is one of uh, uh, four angels in the Bible, who are who are actually named, and uh, that gives us the impression that he's a rather important angel. And in fact, he is. He's a very high-ranking angel, known as an archangel. From Jude chapter nine or verse nine, says that he is an archangel. Jude nine, but Michael, the archangel, when he disputed with the devil and argued about the body of Moses, did not. Notice he did not dare pronounce against him a railing judgment, but said, the Lord rebuke you. He, Michael, the archangel, uh, which means he's probably very prominent, a very high ranking angel among the angels, uh, relied upon the Lord to rebuke Satan. He's also mentioned in Daniel 12, 1, a passage we've read a few times, here in our study of Revelation, it says, Now, at that time, Michael, the great prince who stands guard over the sons of your people, will arise, and there will be a time of distress as never occurred since there was a nation until that time. And at that time, your people, everyone who is found written in the book, will be rescued. So Michael, not only is he an archangel, but he's also kind of the angel for the nation of Israel, it says here in Daniel chapter 12. He stands guard over the sons of your people, Daniel, uh, is what is implied there. The people of Daniel, of course, are the Israelites. So Michael, being this archangel, is, is uh, the angel for the nation of Israel. And he's going to arise in the last times. Daniel 12, 1, pointing to what we're reading about here in Revelation chapter 12, interestingly. He's going to rise up with his army of angels to fight against Satan in this heavenly angelic conflict. And so 
Uh, it would appear from the book of Daniel primarily in the Bible that there are angels who are over various nations. So I uh, personally, I wouldn't speculate too much about this. Is there an angel for America? Uh, I don't know. Uh, there certainly is one for the nation of Israel. We know directly from the Bible. Uh, the Bible doesn't really address whether every nation has an angel over it and or areas of the world, these kinds of things. And I wouldn't create, personally wouldn't create a whole system of beliefs about that. Uh, so, we have uh, Michael and Gabriel. Those are There's two good angels and two bad angels, essentially, named in the Bible. The fourth one, you, you probably can come up with the third one, Satan. He's in our passage. Uh, the fourth one is actually, we've talked about him in Revelation, if you'll remember, Abaddon, the uh, angel of the abyss. He is also... Uh, that's released in Revelation chapter 9. He is the fourth angel that's, that's named in Scripture. Satan is the third, the third one in our list anyway. He's also mentioned here in this passage. He is certainly an angel. Ezekiel 28, 14 points that out pretty clearly. Speaking of Satan, you were anointed the uh, you were the anointed cherub who covers God speaking to him. I placed you there. You were on the holy mountain of God. You walked in the midst of the stones of fire. It says he was even there in Eden in that passage, but he wanted to elevate himself above God. He wanted to be worshipped. It would almost seem that Satan. Uh, he's a created being, an angel, saw that God had created the world and people and everything that is wonderful about our earth. And Satan probably said to himself, I want to be in charge of that. I want to usurp God from his position of authority and take over myself uh, to be worshiped and to take the place of God. And uh, there were a number of angels that probably went along with him. And that's what we saw last time in verse 4 of Revelation 12, speaking of Satan sweeping away a third of the stars of heaven uh, with him in his rebellion against God, probably taking around a third of, the, of these angels uh, with him. And unfortunately for us, Satan is often portrayed as uh, this red, disgusting looking creature with horns and a pitchfork and some, something that you would obviously want to shy away from if you're a, a normal thinking person. You wouldn't want anything to do with that sort of a creature. Uh, Satan is much more wily than that. Genesis 3 says that he was more wily, if you will, than all the creatures of uh, creation. He approaches us as an angel of light. He deceives us into thinking that he's something good, that what he is offering will be to our benefit. That's exactly what he did to Eve in the garden. 2 Corinthians eleven fourteen, Paul says that Satan is like an angel of light. But notice that the great dragon is defeated in heaven. He's thrown down to the earth, it says there in verse 8, that, that Satan and his angels were not strong enough. There was no longer a place found for them in heaven. Verse 9, and the great dragon was thrown down, the serpent of old, who is called the devil. And Satan, this is the true uh, war for independence, if you will, that is going on in heaven. And notice that we as humans have absolutely nothing to do with this particular conflict that is going on. It is Michael and his angels versus Satan and his angels. Michael, uh, uh, the forces of good, if you will, overpower the forces of evil and Satan is excluded from heaven 
at this point that is being described here. Now, this is probably somewhere uh, close to, it doesn't say exactly when this is going to happen, but it's probably somewhere close to the midpoint of the tribulation that this battle takes place in heaven. Satan and his angels are excluded from heaven and cast to the earth as their permanent abode. And so now the world is in a situation where uh, these angels, uh, demons and Satan, have access to uh, both worlds, if you will, both realms, places where we as humans cannot see. They can go there and they can certainly come back to the earth. We see that in places like the book of Job where Satan has access to heaven, he's, or ha- access to heaven and access to earth, he can go between the two. Well, at the midpoint of the tribulation, he's going to be excluded from heaven and his only domain will be here on the earth along with the fallen angels. And that's wonderful news for heaven. Not so wonderful news for the earth when this uh, is going to take place. We think this is probably somewhere close to the midpoint of the tribulation. Uh, As we see, we will see in chapter 13 that the world uh, really runs to the Antichrist, which is literally, uh, the world will be literally worshiping the devil at that point in time. Uh, Revelation 13 for uh, the people worshipped the dragon because he gave his authority to the beast. So the Satan is on the earth able to give his authority to a person who will be on the earth. That person is the Antichrist. And the, the people of the world worshipped the beast, the Antichrist, saying, who is like the beast and who is able to wage war with him? Well, they clearly didn't read Revelation chapter 12 uh, because Michael and his angels were able to wage war with him and defeat him. Uh, verse 5 of Revelation 13, there was given to him a mouth speaking arrogant words and blasphemies and authority to act for 42 months was given to him. 42 months. That's the same as 1,260 days, which we will see is also the same as a time times and a half of time, all describing the second half of the tribulation period. That's when... Uh, Satan is going to be cast to the earth and is going to give his power and authority to the Antichrist who will uh, be the principal means by which he wages war against the believers. So who is this dragon? We saw that last week. It's Satan. We get more information about who he is. The He is called here by oh, about four different names that are all kind of significant so that we can understand our enemy. He is certainly our enemy still today, even though, the, again, this is a future event. Uh, Peter says in First Peter 5 that Satan, the devil, walks around as a roaring lion seeking someone to devour. He is obviously our enemy, and it behooves us to know about our enemy so that we can understand how to uh, fight against him. He's called here the serpent of old, an obvious reference to Genesis chapter 3, where he was uh, the one who he had already fallen, obviously, when he is in the garden and tempting Eve uh, and to eat of the fruit of the tree, deceiving her into thinking that this was going to be something good for her to do. Uh, Adam just kind of stupidly uh, stumbles into the thing. Eve is the one who is, who is deceived in this uh, account that we have, deceived by the serpent. Uh, and that's a whole study in and of itself. But that's, that's why he's referred to there as the serpent of old, who is called the devil, it says. He is, uh, that term in Greek is diabolos, uh, Diablo, you may hear in Spanish, the same, same kind of 
Same kind of word there. And that word is, means that he is slanderous. That's kind of the translation of that term, the, uh, the great slanderer or a slanderous being, these terms defining his very nature. And this is why we too are to avoid things like gossip and slandering other people, saying things that aren't true about other people, because, well, that's what our enemy does. Titus 2.3, Paul says to Titus uh, about uh, things that ought to be taking place in the church. He says, older women likewise are to be reverent in their behavior, not malicious gossips, nor enslaved to much wine, but teaching what is good. So uh, that doesn't just apply to women, but obviously we shouldn't be slandering one another or other people saying things that aren't true about them because, well, that's what our enemy does. And we are to aspire to be Christ-like, not Satan-like. So we get these helpful hints from, or helpful tips on how to live from Paul and the other writers of the Bible. Don't be like the devil and be slanderous. Instead, be like Christ. He's also referred to as Satan here. Uh, And that is a a term that is used quite often of him. Uh, And Satan does a whole host of things that that aren't great. He incites people to evil. Acts 5.3, if you remember, the beginning of the church, uh, after the church is kind of uh, just getting its footing, Acts chapter 5, Ananias and Sapphira, they bring their gifts, they lie about the uh, amount of money, trying to take more credit than, than what should be due to them. It's not that they didn't give everything. It's that they lied about what they did give uh, was the problem, if you'll remember. Acts 5.3, Peter said, Ananias, why has Satan filled your heart to lie to the Holy Spirit and to keep back some of the price of the land? Ananias there being inspired to evil by Satan. He can do exactly the same thing to us. So if we uh, find ourselves in a situation where we're faced with a decision about whether or not we're going to do the right thing and our palms are getting sweaty, we're kind of nervous. I know what the Bible says about whether or not I should do X, Y, or Z, whatever you're faced with. Uh, I'm going to go ahead and side with Christ in this. That would be a good decision. If Ananias would have done that, he wouldn't have been uh, the first person in the Bible to be slain in the spirit there. Instead, he would have enjoyed uh, the rest of his life. And if he would have not been incited to evil by Satan. And just because you're faced with a temptation, that doesn't mean that you are somehow automatically on the wrong path. Obviously, we can put ourselves into a position where we are faced with uh, temptation by going to the wrong places, hanging around the wrong kind of people, reading the wrong kind of things, going to the wrong places on the website, all, or on the internet. All of that is obviously true. But just because you're walking, you can also be just going about your daily life and faced with temptation. That, that, is, that in and of itself isn't uh, a sin, but nevertheless, the, the action in either case ought to be the same. Pay attention to the Word and the Holy Spirit uh, prompting you in your life and obey rather than disobey. First uh, Corinthians seven five, another instance of Satan uh, inciting people to evil. Paul says, "Stop depriving one another, except by agreement for a time." Man and woman is what is uh, husband and wife is what's being described here, so that you may devote yourselves to prayer and come together again, so that Satan will not tempt you because of your lack of self control. Uh, Satan 
also can cause sickness. Luke 13, 16 doesn't automatically mean that every time you're sick, it's Satan making you sick, but he can uh, do that. He hinders the work of the Lord. 1 Thessalonians 2, 18, for we wanted to come to you, I, Paul, more than once, and yet Satan hindered us. He can discourage you in your life. Uh, Talk to anybody who, well, just about anybody who teaches the Bible on a Sunday morning, what they feel like on a Monday morning. Most times uh, I've heard it said that people can be discouraged uh, in these kinds of things. That's, That's from Satan. I, I fully uh, believe that he discourages people who are involved in that, that kind of work. Uh, doesn't mean we need to give into it, however. We ought to, like the hymn that we sang this morning, when those kinds of things have, it does, he, only does, he doesn't only discourage uh, pastors. He discourages probably every believer at different times, like the hymn that we sang, when that happens, we ought to count our many blessings. That is a very convicting uh, hymn. Satan also brings false beliefs. 1 Timothy 5.15, Paul says, some have already turned aside to follow Satan. Beliefs that are uh, contrary to what the scriptures say are uh, satanic. That's inspiring wrong belief. Uh, He inspires persecution of believers. Revelation 2, 13. Revelation 3, 9. We uh, saw that in the letters from the Lord to the various seven churches. Some of them were under intense persecution brought to them by Satan himself. Notice also that he is the one who deceives the whole world. He is the deceiver. John 8, 44, Jesus uh, says to the Pharisees, (laughs) I I really love the words of Jesus sometimes. If you just picture him being in in discussion, I always, hopefully always love the words of Jesus, but these in particular, John 8, 44, picture him talking with these people, this, the, the conception of Christ in uh, even Christianity is so far off base, it would seem sometimes. Uh, John eight forty four, meek and mild Jesus. You are of your father, the devil, and you want to do the desires of your father. He was a murderer from the beginning and does not stand in the truth because there is no truth in him. Whenever he speaks a lie, he speaks from his own nature, for he is a liar and the father of lies. And you Pharisees, that's who you are. You are following the father of lies. And that's why we are told not to lie to one another. We ought to be people of truth because Satan is the father of lies. Colossians 3.9, do not lie to one another since you laid aside the old self with its evil practices and have put on the new self who is being renewed to a true knowledge according to the image of the one who created him. The uh, Ten Commandments, do not lie. Be of truth because the Lord is truth. Satan is of lies and a deceiver uh, from the beginning. Suzanne and I watched a, a documentary about uh, uh, an individual. It had to do with uh, the Mormons. He was raised a Mormon, but he eventually uh, got caught up in such deception about he was trying to essentially bring down the whole Mormon church. So they, uh, the Mormons, for all of their faults, are very patriotic American uh, American patriots for sure. They have a very high regard for historic documents. And this individual was uh, counterfeiting documents, historic documents, and then selling them to the Mormon church. And some of them were uh, contrary to their history and all of this thing. And eventually this guy gets to the point where he is in such trouble that he starts uh, killing people by bombing them 
in Salt Lake City in the 80s. It, it, absolutely incredible. They compared it to like Beirut. He's setting off car bombs and all of this stuff. Crazy. But they went into his uh, childhood after we found out, you know, oh, he's the one who's doing this. And he was a deceiver from the very beginning. He was a sociopath. His entire life was based on deceiving people and tricking them into thinking that he is this great person and all of the various ways that he did this. That is satanic. That is the very nature of Uh, Satan himself, that he is the father of lies. And we ought to be people of truth, understanding the truth. That's why we uh, treat the scriptures with with, uh, the care that we try to, because it is the truth. Your word is truth, Jesus said, of God's word. And so we ought to do our best to understand it the way that it is presented to us, so that we are not deceived. And we certainly, of course, should not be deceiving one another as that is uh, of Satan himself. So we have this angelic warfare going on. Uh, no mention of us in, in those opening verses. No mention of humans. Uh, this is all done in heaven out of our sight, but there is an actual victory. Revelation 12 10, then I heard a loud voice in heaven saying, Now the salvation and the power and the kingdom of our God and the authority of his Christ have come. For the accuser of our brethren has been thrown down. He who accuses them before our God day and night. And they overcame him because of the blood of the lamb and because of the word of their testimony. And they did not love their life even when faced with death. For this reason, rejoice, O heavens, and you who dwell in them. Woe to the earth and the sea, because the devil has come down to you, having great wrath, knowing that he has only a short time. So we see this this victory that is taking place is a victory in heaven. Like I mentioned before, Satan and his angels have been cast so that they can only abide in this world in heaven. Uh, and no longer have access to heaven. So salvation has come. We have a number, of th- a number of results of Satan being cast out of heaven here in verse 10. The salvation has come. Uh, this, again, uh, is speaking of the, the salvation, kind of the, the end is beginning if you will. In, in cycling, they, they talk about the finale of a race. The, the finale is not when you cross the finish line. The finale is kind of the last difficult section of the race when it's really going to get heated up. And this is where the battle is, is really going to play itself out. Finale doesn't mean the, the end of the end. That's, what we, that's where we find ourselves in the book of Revelation. The end of the end is when Christ comes again to the earth. This is still the end because we are in the final section. So that's why we see this language like uh, salvation has come and these kinds of these kinds of things that we see throughout uh, Revelation. Uh, so this salvation, it's happened in heaven, it's also one day going to take place on the earth because it has taken place in heaven. Revelation eleven twenty five speaks of all of Israel being saved there in verse 26 of Revelation uh, or Romans 11. Uh, Matthew 24, 13 speaks of the nation of Israel being saved. This salvation is able to come to the world because it has already been won in the person of Christ and here in this battle in heaven. Uh, The salvation and the power has come. This power to crush Satan and evil, that was promised all the way from the beginning in Genesis 3, 
15, uh, that the seed of the woman would crush the head of Satan. This is, again, part of the finale. This is the Satan and his angels being cast out of heaven is kind of the beginning of the end, if you will, uh, in, in terms of Satan ultimately being uh, defeated. And notice also that the kingdom of our God and the authority of his Christ have come. This is, again, the beginning of the end, the beginning of the, the fulfillment of God's covenant promises, the beginning of the end of those uh, covenant promises actually coming together in the kingdom on the earth. That's what the... the kind of the foundation for all of the book of Revelation. Why is, why is, can this kingdom come? How, why is it going to be here? Well, because God promised that it would. He promised a land, a people, and a ruler to the nation of Israel in his covenants to them. This is it coming to pass here. And this can happen because of Jesus Christ. He is the authority behind all of this. That's what he meant when he said in Revel, or Luke chapter 17, when he said that the, that the kingdom is within you or the kingdom is in your midst, a better translation there. Uh, it was literally in their midst, in the person of Jesus Christ. He is the, the authority behind everything that is taking place here. The victory has come because the accuser has been thrown down. Uh, he's lost access again to heaven, which he which he had. Job uh, one nine through ten describes that, uh, and he has been thrown down to the earth. He had access to God and still does even to this day. He he. Satan asked permission to sift the apostles as wheat, if you'll remember, Luke twenty-two thirty-one, 31. Uh, Jesus speaking to Peter, uh, Simon, Simon, behold, Satan has demanded permission to sift you, you all, like wheat. But Jesus said he prayed specifically for Peter uh, to be able to resist that and that he eventually would be the one to lead the apostles, which we see played out in the book of Acts. Uh, Satan still has access to heaven today. However, we have an advocate who will forgive us of our sins. Satan is accusing us. We have a, a good defense attorney in Jesus Christ to plead our case for us. We can go to him. And we can confess our sins. First John 1 John 1.9, He is faithful and righteous to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Uh, if we say that we have not sinned, we make Him a liar and His word is not in us. My little children, I am writing these things to you so that you may not sin. And if anyone sins, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ, the righteous, and he himself is the propitiation for our sins and not for ours only, but also for those of the whole world. So we have an actual victory in Christ because he has shed his blood for us. We can go to him when Satan accuses us or when we sin, we can go to Christ and ask for forgiveness because this victory has already been won. And notice Verse 11, and they, believers, overcame him because of the blood of the Lamb and because of the word of their testimony. Notice again that this is not something that we are doing to accomplish the victory. We don't pull ourselves up by our bootstraps, hold on really tight, and uh, press on in our, in our own strength. We have the victory because of the blood of the Lamb, first off, John sixteen thirty three. Jesus says, These things I have spoken to you so that in me you may have peace. In the world you have tribu tribulation, but take courage. I have overcome the world. He will do that uh, subsequent to what he's talking, when he's talking here at the cross. He's overcome the world through his 
shed blood. 1 John 5, 4, For whatever is born of God overcomes the world, and this is the victory that has overcome the world, our faith. Who is the one who overcomes the world? But he who believes that Jesus is the Son of God. That is how these believers pictured here overcome. It's the same way that we overcome through the blood of the Lamb, through Jesus Christ, not through our own strength. Notice also there's another reason why they and we overcome. It is the word of their testimony, the word of God, the shed blood of the Lamb, and the word of God is the reason why we have the victory. Again, nothing that we are doing in our own strength. Jesus Christ won the victory for us. And he does it in his word that is eternal, Isaiah 40 and verse 8. Uh, he does it in his word, Isaiah fifty-nine nineteen. So they will fear the name of the Lord from the west and his glory from the rising of the sun. For he will come like a rushing stream, which the wind of the Lord drives. A redeemer will come to Zion and to those who turn from transgression in Jacob, declares the Lord. As for me, this is my covenant with them, says the Lord. My spirit, which is upon you, and my words, which I have put in your mouth, shall not depart from your mouth, nor from the mouth of your offspring, nor from the mouth of your offspring's offspring, says the Lord. From now and forever. Israel in the future will have this victory because the Lord will give it to them and he will give them his word through his spirit. Today, we too, of course, have victory in the word. That's why Paul emphasizes the importance of teaching the word in Ephesians 4 verses 11 through 16. He gives teachers to the church so that we can be instructed in the word and understand it and aren't tossed here and there by every wind of doctrine, by every uh, change that comes down the pike. You don't have to look very far in the church to see how the church goes right along with the culture in large uh, measure. Just uh, investigate the recent goings on in the Methodist uh, denomination if you want uh, some instruction on that. As we move away from the Lord and his word, we go right along with the stream of the culture, which is very unfortunate. These people, however, they trusted in the shed blood of the lamb. They trusted in God's word. It, it The word was their testimony. And because of that, it says that they were uh, willing to give their life. They did not love their life even when faced with death. And that's why they were able to overcome. And then uh, verse 12, we have this rejoicing in heaven and woe to the earth. Rejoice in heaven because Christ has won the victory and these uh, Satan and his angels are excluded from here, but woe to the earth because he is cast down now to the earth and this when this happens it's going to lead to extreme anti-semitism that we see in verses 13 through 17 when this when the dragon was thrown down to the earth he persecuted the woman who gave birth to the male child uh, but the woman is protected we will see and this enrages satan and he goes after the believers uh, even more so. Verse 13, uh, he persecutes the woman. This is uh, Satan and his uh, extreme anti-Semitism. Why does Satan hate the Jewish people? Well, because his authority is going to be taken away from him through the Jewish people. Jesus already made this very clear in his earthly life that when the nation of Israel believes in him, he will come and establish his kingdom upon the earth. Satan hates that idea. He has been against the Israelite people from the very beginning because he's against God's plan to eradicate Satan from this world and rule over this uh, kingdom, this world, in a righteous 
kingdom. Satan hates that, so he goes after the Jewish people. We see that throughout the Old Testament, uh, using the Egyptians in the book of Exodus, uh, using all of the enemies of Israel throughout Joshua, 2 Kings, Ezra, Nehemiah, throughout the entirety of the Old Testament, Satan is using uh, the nations of the world to go against Israel. Uh, he still does that today in people like Hitler, uh, other, other historical accounts that you can read about. He even uses the Jewish people themselves, which uh, is incredible to think about. And you don't have to look any further than our own Congress uh, with Jewish people who hate the nation of Israel. Why would that be? Well, for the same reason that the prophets of Baal were Jewish people. They hate God and they are against him and God's plan. And so they go against their their very own people, which is so unfortunate. Uh, he, Satan is going to continue this warfare against the nation of Israel in the future. That's why Jeremiah calls this tribulation period the time of Jacob's distress or the chime of Jacob's trouble. It is Satan uh, in one last gasp trying to eradicate the Israelite people so that he can maintain his grip over this world. And that's what Jesus described in Matthew 24, verses 15 through 22, this uh, great tribulation period. However, Israel is going to be protected by God. Uh, Notice verse 14, but the two wings of the great eagle were given to the woman so that she could fly into the wilderness to her place where she was nourished for a time, times, and a half a time from the presence of the serpent. Now, uh, late great planet Earth, Hal Lindsey, thank you. Uh, I knew that you would remember that. Uh, He actually purports that in this revelation 1214, the two wings of the great eagle. This is a wonderful way to not interpret the Bible. Hal Lindsey, he's got a degree from Dallas Seminary. I'm not, don't know what class he took to learn this method of interpretation. I wouldn't recommend that. Uh, When he comes to this passage, two wings of the great eagle were given to Israel so that she could escape somewhere into the wilderness and be protected. He says, well, Uh, The eagle is the national bird of America, so that means that America is going to do this great airlift for the Jewish people, take them into the wilderness, fly them into the wilderness somewhere so that they can be protected. Interesting theory. I wouldn't go along with it. And in his theory, it's a good thing Ben Franklin didn't get his way, otherwise the national bird would have been the turkey, and then Israel would have been in real trouble. But... Uh, that isn't what took place in America is not. I assure you that America is not the two wings of the eagle here. How can I assure you of that? Well, uh, Isaiah 34, 2 for one, Joel 3, 2 for another. I will gather all the nations and bring them down to the valley of Jehoshaphat. Then I will enter into judgment with them there on behalf of my people and my inheritance, Israel, whom they have scattered among the nations and they have divided up my land. All the nations of the world will go against Israel in the end. Unfortunately for us, America is not going to be the one protecting uh, Israel here. God himself is going to be the one to do that. And so is he, go- is he going to protect Israel in Petra? Uh, th- that is the popular uh, position of a whole host of people that that. Israel is going to Petra to be protected. Petra is a place in Jordan uh, that has very steep walls, very narrow entrance, and in ancient times was a a practically impenetrable uh, fortress that 
would seem in ancient times to be a very obvious choice for, for the nation to flee to, to be uh, protected. Uh, and there is some vague references to in Isaiah 34 and Isaiah 63 to a place called Basra as being where the nation uh, could be. Is Basra Petra? It could be. Uh, there, there is no verse in the Bible that unequivocally says Israel will go to Petra in the end to be uh, protected, that that is where they are going to go. Uh, could it be? It could be. I would not uh, state it emphatically that that is where they're going, and we can talk about that more uh, later. We don't have too much time to get into it today. One thing that I can assure you is that they will go to some place in the wilderness because that's what it says in the text. We can take that one to the bank and they're going to be protected there for three and a half years, a time, one year, times, two years, and a half a time, a half a year. Add that all together, three and a half years. 42 months, 1,260 days. All these different ways to say the same thing. The second half of the tribulation period is three and a half years. That begins with the abomination of desolation that is the midpoint, Daniel 9.27. Matthew 24 talks about that. Matthew 24.15 When that happens, then it gets really bad. That's when the nation is going to have to escape for their protection, and that is what they will do. And then it talks about the serpent, uh, the devil, pouring forth water out of his mouth to try to flood the people, to try to kill them with a flood. Now, is that a literal flood? Well, again, here's another way, another example of how we can, we are, I believe, free to see this as a figurative language because uh, an angel or a person uh, can't spew enough water out of their mouth to drown an entire nation. So this is a, so the plain sense doesn't make sense. So you can, so you are free to interpret the figure. So does that mean that it's a literal flood? Somehow Satan uh, uh, releases a dam or something like that to flood and kill the people? Perhaps. Uh, but it could also be a flood of, of troops or armies, and there, there is some uh, biblical evidence for that. Uh, Jeremiah 47 to to three describes uh, the enemies of God's armies being like a flood, a flood of water, uses very similar language. So is it a literal flood? Is it a, a flood of, of troops? Uh, I'll leave that one up to you to, to decide uh, for yourself there. The, the lesson is that Israel is going to be miraculously protected, like it talks about in Isaiah 26 and verse 20 for one place. Uh, in addition to our our very text here that says clearly they are going to be protected. So when they are protected, uh, with the earth swallowing or drinking up the water or uh, swallowing the people, that could happen as well. That's uh, It wouldn't be the first time that, that the earth swallowed up the enemies of God. We see that in the Old Testament. Uh, When that happens, Satan is then enraged, verse 17, and he went off to make war with the rest of her children who keep the commandments of God and hold to the testimony of Jesus. We see that uh, Jesus talking about the same kind of thing, warning people to be faithful when this intense persecution is going to come and Furthermore, they will have a reward at the end if they do that, if they uh, exemplify their faith in actions of protecting the Jewish people, Matthew 25, verses 31 through 33 and Matthew 25, 40 talk about people receiving a reward for helping the Jewish people during the tribulation period because Satan 
is going directly after them and directly after uh, anyone who goes against his will during this period. And guess what? He's doing exactly the same thing today. And we have, as believers today, we have our victory in Christ exactly the same way that these people will in the future. And it is all through Jesus Christ, through his shed blood and through his word, through the word of of his testimony that we then uh, put out. And so if you find yourself in this world today uh, under satanic attack, whether it's through discouragement, whether it's through uh, some kind of sin, whether it's through temptation to sin, you have a way out exactly the same way that these people do. If you uh, have never trusted in Christ, I invite you to do that today because without him, without his shed blood and without the word of his testimony, you are helpless against Satan and his devices in this world. With the shed blood of Christ, through trusting, believing in, putting your faith in his shed blood, he has won the victory you now recognize that, yes, I trust in his victory. He gives you the victory free of charge. And you can experience it and have it today. And when you do that, you then have access to his word that you can understand it better. You can apply it better. You have the Holy Spirit within you to help you understand it and apply it better. You too can have victory over the circumstances that you're facing in your life. Let's go to him in prayer. Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you for this ancient text in the book of Revelation that we have that is still so applicable to us today. I pray that that your Holy Spirit would meet with us in the days to come and help us to understand your word, give us a better insight into the incredible gift of the salvation that we have through faith in you and the incredible gift of your word that explains so much about the world that we see around us. Uh, we can think that, that uh, this world is completely detached from the Bible, that it's irrelevant, that, it, that it's meaningless, but yet when we study it in detail, we see that it, that it still has the answers for us today and whatever we are facing. We thank you for the victory that we have in Christ, and it is in his name that we pray. Amen. Now may the God of peace himself sanctify you entirely, and may your spirit and soul and body be preserved complete without blame at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. Faithful is he who calls you, and he also will bring it to pass. And all God's people said, Amen.